God knows all the things that you're not even thinking about that need to be dealt with. Thank you, Ms. Sherry. Grab a Bible. Turn open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we will finish the book. We will finish the book today. <laughs> I, will not, I, will, I will not end, Sherry. We'll go all day. I'm finishing. Man, y'all are hard on me already. All right. You, you guys just like it. That's what it is. You want me to keep going. You say that until it's 1.30 and all your stomachs are grumbling. All right, so it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and find verse 23. So you guys know I've got some construction happening at my house right now. I've got this um, addition that we're putting on the house. And, and when the builder came out, when the contractor came out, uh, like I know something, I had this, I think I learned this from my father-in-law. I had this list, like a physical list of, of questions to ask the builder. And I'm asking him, you know, the, how the order things are going to go and, and what type of, you know, what type of wood we're going to be using. I'm asking like everything I could think of because you hear all these horror stories, you know, from my mind, you hear all these people who get in the middle of these projects and everybody says, didn't you ask? And so I tried to ask as many questions as I could possibly ask. I had this page list of questions for him. Him. And he took it very generously. He just, he just answered all my questions. He was very nice with me as I, as I asked him question after question after question. And then the other night, Sarah was gone and I was at the house by myself, and, which is rare, by the way. And so I was at the house by myself and, and uh, the builder had to stop by. The contractor had to stop by. And he had his little notepad and he went in the back and he was writing and I'm following along like a lost puppy, you know, asking questions as we go. And, and I made the comment, I said... I would have never known to, act. like he's jotting down things. One of the things, just to give you an example, there's some exposed brick in one of the rooms. It used to be the outside of the house. It'll now be the inside of the room. And, and he was there marking the brick to get, to get a pattern from the brick because he wanted the brick that we had to put where there used to be a window. He wanted it to be the same. And I said, I would have never known, like the, the things he's jotting down, the things he needed to know, I would have never thought to ask. You know, I had my whole list of questions. And I said, I never would have thought to ask those things. I would have, I would have never known. And he kind of grinned at me with that, like, you know, I don't have to say I told you so type of grin. And he grinned at me and he said, that's what you're paying me for is to do all the things that you didn't know to do. At the end of the day, he's like, you, you paid me to build the room. I've got to build it. I've, I've got to finish the job because that's what, that's what you hired me for. When it comes to our salvation, we tend to, as humans, we like to think that we know something. But what we're going to see, as Paul closes the letter today, what we're going to see is that God is in complete control. And when he saves us, he saves us completely. And the things that you might think need to be dealt with, God will deal with those. But don't you know that God knows all the things that you're not even thinking about that need to be dealt with? And when God changes us, he changes us completely. And that's what we're going to see today as we, as we close this letter from uh, Paul to the church of Thessalonica. I hope I gave you enough time to find it. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Do you have it? Amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Y'all, handshakes will do. <laughs> 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him about his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to first of all just recognize our, our presence and your presence. Oh God, we don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve to get to come to you in prayer. And yet you have so graciously opened up your throne room to us. And so, Father, we say thank you that you would hear us. Father, I think I can speak for the room to say nobody needs to hear from me today. But God, we need to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Father, we want, to, we want, your, word, we want your word to just come alive to us. We want to understand it better, but Father, we don't just want an understanding. We want to be changed by you. And so we pray that you would invade this place today. Take over. You would fill up our hearts, fill up our minds, fill us up with your word, fill us up with your spirit. Father, we pray that you would teach us that we'd hear directly from you, myself included. We pray this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Look with me. Verse 23, now may the God... Of peace himself. See that? May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now remember with me, we started, this kind of was, a, this was supposed to be one sermon, but it, got, it became two sermons. So remember with me from last week that we were talking about our responsibility in God's grace. That our salvation is by grace. It is nothing that you can do. If you're confused about that, I'm trying to put this in plain, simple English. You can be saved only by the grace of God. God saved you. You can't do anything. There's no physical action that you can take that makes for salvation. Jesus did all the work. You accept him by faith and he saves you by his grace. You didn't earn it. He gave it to you. That's grace. Everybody get that? So last week we talked about our responsibility. We still had some responsibility in that. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. This week we finished this as Paul now talks about from God's side. We had a responsibility in grace, but look at what God does in grace. Look at what he says in verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you. You can pick this apart. You can do this. Who's the one who's going to do the work here? God himself. May the God of peace himself, may God do this work. May the God of peace himself, what's he going to do? What's the next word? May the God of peace himself do what? Sanctify. What does sanctify mean? We should know this by now. That means to make holy, to set apart for his own work's sake. God is going to sanctify, and who is he going to sanctify? You, me, us. And one last one, one last question. How is he going to sanctify us? Completely. All of us. The whole thing. He's got, the whole, he's got the whole project already mapped out. He's got your whole life. He gets it. And he knows every part of you that needs to be saved by his grace. May the God of peace himself, the work that he's going to do, he is going to sanctify you completely. Now let's pick apart what that really means. Look a little further. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How complete is God's salvation toward you? How complete is this grace that he offers you? Well, Paul says here, may, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. Remember I told you last week that we talked about God as a trinity because God is in the trinity. He's in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those three persons are one. And I can't give you a, a full explanation of how that works because he's God. But I can tell you that you do have a picture of that in ourselves because in and of ourselves, we have three component parts. A soul, 
a spirit and a body. Differentiating between this, the body and the spirit or the body and the soul, that's not too hard. We can probably do that one pretty easily. But have you ever taken any time to think about what is the difference between the spirit and the soul? Paul says that God's going to sanctify us completely, and he says it's spirit, soul, and body, those three different component parts, and that's what I aim to, and I'd ask that if you're, if you're willing, that maybe you'd, you'd offer up a prayer for me to, to be able to differentiate that for us, that we could understand. I mean, if, if I was to ask you the question, what's the difference between your spirit and your soul? What is the difference between your spirit and your soul? What, what, makes, those, what makes those parts different? Well, let's dig into God's Word and let's find out. First of all, you can go ahead and kind of preemptively turn, if you would like. Turn over in your Bibles to John chapter 4 and verse 24. This interesting thing happens in the Bible when we find the word spirit. When we find the word spirit, we find it used in two ways. One, when we talk about God. Now, when we talk about God, here's Jesus speaking in John 4 and verse 24. John 4 and verse 24. I see some of you turning. I like that. I want you to turn. Take your time. Get there. I'll give you a second. There we go. I think we got it. Everybody got it? John 4, 24. God is, what is he? God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So God is, according to Jesus' own words, God is what? Spirit. The Bible never references you as spirit. The Bible references the spirit you have, that you have a spirit, this is not hard for you to understand. You are not a spirit. We are physically here. We are in a body. We have a body. We have flesh and bones. We have a body. That's not a, that's not a church word. That's a word any, anybody should understand. Well, I mean, I know the gender stuff's getting kind of out there. But you are real in a real body, and your real body is exactly what you are. Okay, that's who we, we're referenced as that, but we're not referenced as a spirit. God is spirit, but we have a spirit. Does everybody kind of get that for a moment? You have a spirit, but God is a spirit, Right? Now, what does the Bible do when the Bible references your spirit, the spirit that you have? Turn in your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. What, how is our spirit referenced in the Bible? That's what I'm asking. So we don't, we're not a spirit. We have a body. God is spirit, but we have a spirit. It's part, of, it's part of, of our makeup. We have a spirit. Now, I'm asking this question, though. If we have a spirit, what does the Bible say about our spirit? Well, here it is. It's Ephesians 2. And verse 1. Do you have that? Two of you have it? That's shameful. We, could, we can do better than that. Ephesians 2 and 1. I'll give you a second. I'll ask again. Ephesians 2, chapter 1. All right, we're all going to say it if you have it. Don't leave me hanging. Ephesians 2, 1. Do you have it? Yeah. Amen. There we go. Ephesians 2, 1. And, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. You ready for this? According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Don't, don't turn from there. I'm going to read a little bit more in a second. But do you understand that when the Bible references your spirit, the Bible references our spirit, the spirit that we have inside of us, as dead. Before Christ, your spirit, you are dead in your trespasses and your sins. Your spirit is dead to God. You are, you are made alive, as we just read, when we put our faith in Christ Jesus as our Savior, the Son of God, who came and lived for us and died for us. He, he was put in a tomb, and three days later he rose again. And when you believe in him, the Bible says if you believe in him, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
right? We all get that. When you're saved, God makes your spirit alive. Your spirit, if you don't understand this, let me go the other direction. You do understand that your spirit, before salvation, your spirit starts out dead. Now, this is hard for us to understand because we, the spirit is, is this immaterial part of us. I look at my body. The Bible says that I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. And I look at my body and I say, but I'm not dead. I can move. I can breathe. I can see. I can hear. I understand. I can communicate. I'm, not, I'm obviously not dead. But the Bible doesn't say that your body is dead. That's a separate part. The Bible says what part of you is dead? Your spirit. You are dead. The, your spirit is dead. But God, when you put your faith in Christ, he makes you alive. If you've got a King James, it might say that he quickens you. He quickens you. He makes you alive unto himself. Now, I hope you stayed in Ephesians chapter 2 because in verse 4, we pick back up and here's what we read. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By, for, by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now think about that. You were dead. Is it that you're physically dead? Is your body dead? No, your spirit was dead. But God has made your spirit alive. And when God has made your spirit alive, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and there in verse 6, what has he made you to do? He has raised you up and made you to sit in heavenly places. Whoa, 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 whoa. We don't get to glaze over that. Heavenly places? How do you get to sit in heavenly places? Last time I checked, we're in Oldham County, Kentucky. How do you get to sit in heavenly places? Friends, I want you to understand this. Spiritually, God has raised you spiritually. He has given you a new spirit and a live spirit. You were dead, but God, just like he raised his son from the dead, God has raised us from the dead spiritually. We are no longer spiritually dead unto God. We are now spiritually alive unto God. You see, your spirit is the part of you that connects you to God. If you were to go to prayer, God says in his word, does he not say that we can enter into his throne room boldly? Do you have a room in your house that's God's throne room? Is it in the church? Is it in, maybe you go to a Catholic church? Maybe it's a confessional booth? Is that it? Is that the throne room of God? No, how do you get to the throne room of God? By prayer. By your spirit. The only way you get to the throne room of God is not by going into a room. By the way, can I just get here for a moment? Can we all understand this? This is why, this is why, I hope everybody's ready for me to just get straight forward. This is why so many like the Catholic religion. He said Catholic from the pulpit. He's naming people. That's okay. You need to know this. Because in Catholicism, there's these traditions. There's these physical things you can do. I want you to ask yourself this question. You, you hear some, a Christian say it. You'll hear me say it, that God spoke to me. That, God, that, that I heard from God or I knew God was speaking to me or that God was calling to me. Can I ask you a question? When, you, when I say that God spoke to me or that I heard from God, do you think that I heard God in my ear? Why not? What's the ear? Spirit, soul, or body? It's body. God doesn't speak to my body. He speaks to my spirit. You see, my spirit has been made alive to God. I can go to the throne room of God. I can hear from God. I can take him my needs. There's not a physical room. Can we get back to what I was saying? There's no beads. Rub the beads all you want. God didn't ask you to rub beads. I know that's me. It is true. God didn't ask you to light a candle. Go light all the candles you want. It's not doing anything for you. You see, your body says, oh, I want to do something. That's why we get confused in our churches and we think that baptism is doing something. Baptism is an outward display of what's already happened. Yeah. 
You see, we get all mixed up. We want the we want a bodily thing. We want we want to see it in the physical. So give me a bead, give me a candle. I'll walk the labyrinth. I'll do a little prayer thing. I'll go. I'll say the word right words. I'll get in the I'll get in the pool. Friends, that's not what God is doing. He has not made you alive when you went under the water and came about the water. He made your spirit alive. He made your spirit alive unto him where you could not hear him. You were unresponsive to him, dead to him. God has quickened you. He's made you alive unto him in your spirit. You see, Paul was saying, come back to the first Thessalonians, look at what Paul was saying in chapter 5 and verse 23. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. How? In your whole spirit. What's the next one? Your soul. In your soul. For sake of time, because I realize I'm already going along and I promised I'm getting through this. I'm not going to turn to some of the references. Just trust me. If you were to go to, to, to Leviticus, if you were to turn to the book of Leviticus, you'll see the word soul over and over and over again. Now, every time the Bible references your, you have a spirit, that you have a spirit. God is spirit, you have a spirit. But throughout the Bible, you know what you're referenced as? A soul. The soul who touches an unclean thing is unclean until, uh, uh, a dead thing is unclean until the evening. That's what, that's what Leviticus would say. Over and over in the Psalms, he would be referenced as a soul. The soul that believes, or the soul that doesn't believe. You see, you're not referenced as a spirit, you have a spirit, but you are referenced in the Bible as a soul. You see, your soul is the part of you, it is what makes you up. The spirit is the part that connects you to God. Are you ready for this? You need to understand this difference. The soul is the part that connects you in the world. It's an immaterial part of you, but it deals with your emotions, with your feelings, with your wants, with your desires. The things, have you ever thought about this? Like, there's thoughts right now as I'm talking. There's thoughts running through your head. What are those? Those aren't really words. I mean, they're words because you know they're words, but no one's speaking that. You're all my, you could go from a scientific standpoint and you could decide for yourself that that's just brain waves and that's your, that's your mind's way of, of storing information and filing things away. But the Bible says that you are a soul. There is a part of you that makes you who you are that is not your physical body. That this part of, as a matter of fact, the, the word soul is, is often changed in the Bible just to simply mean life. It is your life. It's who you are. What it's what makes you, you who you are. You're not just this skin suit. You're not just this tent. You're a person with a personality, and that comes from your soul. Now, here's what we need to understand, though. Just like the spirit, where did the spirit start? Dead to God. And God made us alive. Let's look at something about your soul for a moment. Let's look about who you are. Turn over in your Bible to Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Look at Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. You ready for this one? This one hurts for today's culture. Jeremiah 17, 9. You got it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now we do something, we, I think I'm probably fall prey to this as well. We, we do this often that we get to that verse and we, we, we immediately focus on the fact that we are wicked. And we are. We're unrighteous. Um, the verse that, that uh, Robert read for us earlier, if you go a little earlier in that chapter, what we find is that our filthiness is as our, our, our righteousness is as filthy rags unto God. Okay? We all focus on the, on the wicked part. I would think everybody in the room agrees with the fact that innately we're wicked people. We do wicked things. You just watch the news for a little bit and you go, wow, people are wicked. But did you notice in that verse, I hope you didn't turn from it just yet. Did you notice that before it says that we're desperately wicked, did you notice it says the heart is what? Deceitful above all things. 
Understand what I'm telling you. I hope I'm being clear. This is, this is a complicated thing. If you think about trying to explain this to a group, I want you to, to realize it's kind of complicated. But gather this. Your spirit is what's connecting you to God. I'm telling you, your soul is what's connecting you, the immaterial part of you that's what's connecting you to the world. The, your soul is what's making you who you are. Now, your heart, what's making you who you are. We're not, do you think Jeremiah meant your physical pumping blood heart? No, he means the inward part of you, the, part of, the deepest part of you, your heart, your soul, who you are. Is deceitful. You see, culture says, well, wait a minute. How could something that be so wrong if it feels so good? Because your heart's deceitful. The very heart of who we are. Listen, this is why you cannot base your salvation on the way you felt. Somebody comes to me and they say, they say to me, well, I didn't feel anything when I got saved. Good. It wasn't your body. It's not your body that we're talking about for a moment. Your spirit was made alive unto God, and then God literally, he does something amazing. He changes who you are. He takes who, the, who I am in my most inward part, and he makes me his. That's what repentance is. It's not just, the, the idea of repentance is not just the idea that I say, oh, I repent, I don't want to do it anymore. No, it's that I have a change of mind. The thing that I used to do, I no longer want to do. Even though sometimes, yes, that old man rears his head up inside of me. Sometimes my desires get the best of me. My flesh gets the best of me. And yes, I admit before all of you, I sin. And I would hope you'd be willing to admit that you sin. Because if you say you don't, the Bible says you're a liar. We sin. Sometimes I sin. But there's this huge difference. When I sin, the, the guilt of my sin and the shame of my sin, it's not before I would sin and, and what? I was happy. It's a notch in the belt. It's something to brag about. It's something to laugh about. It's a story to tell. We revel in it. But now, now when we sin, no, we want to go to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. I don't want any part of that. Where did that desire come from? That's when God has changed you. Before I wanted it, now I don't want it. Before I liked it, before I enjoyed it, now when I do it, I feel shameful. I feel dirty. I feel gross. I don't want, to, I don't want that in me anymore. You see, God takes our soul, who we are, and he makes us his. You can't just take what you want, what you desire, what you feel, and say that that's what I'll base my, that's what I'll base my, my faith on. You base your faith on your feelings, and your faith will fall short. By the way, parenthetical reference, and I'm not even going to pass the plate again. This is just free charge. That's a joke. I shouldn't have said that. Y'all like, you should, somebody's shaking their head at me. <laughs> shouldn't have said that. Listen, it is true. There's, there's a, a little reference, but you need to understand this, that, that God changes, when God changes who we are, that God takes, takes who we are and makes us into an entirely new person that's different than what we were before. And the world doesn't see that. They see the flesh, but they don't see who we are as a new person. And I can't take my feelings because my feelings remember something. My feelings remember what I had before. So where do I stand? You ready? This is the part I'm not going to charge you for. I have to stand on his word. I can't trust my emotion. I can't trust my feeling. I can't trust my desires. I can't trust the thing that I even want. Sometimes it is true that Christians even want the thing they shouldn't have. And if you're going to base your salvation on, the, if you're going to say to me, yeah, but I even wanted it. Sometimes we do, sadly. I'm not saying it's okay. We repent of our sins. But you can't base your salvation on what you feel. I can only base my salvation on what he's told me. Because my heart is wicked and it's deceitful. My heart will lie to me. My desires will lie to me. But God's word won't. 
And so I have to trust when God says that he'll save me. When God says if you'll confess your sins to him, that he'll forgive you of all unrighteousness. I have to trust him at his word. When I, when, I, when I read 1 John chapter 2 and I read that if, that John says, I write these things to you so that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. I have to remember that even when I don't feel like I can go to God, I have an, ad, an advocate with the Father who says, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll, t- I'll take your burden. Jesus said, you can, you can trust Jesus at his word when Jesus said that all who will come to him will have life. I don't trust my feelings, so I have to trust his word. Okay, one more, your body then. What is your, we have your spirit. Your spirit connects you to God. We have your soul that's connecting you to the world. So both of those could be bad. They start bad and God changes us to good. But what about our body? This is the best part. Are you ready for this? Your body acts out what your soul and your spirit want. If your spirit, if you read Ephesians, if your spirit's connected to the sons of disobedience with the spirit of evil, just like Ephesians 2 said, then guess what your desires and your wants are going to be? Your soul is going to follow suit. You're going to be linked to and tied to that which is evil. And so what's going to come out of your body? That which is evil. Remember, that's what Jesus was telling the Jews. He said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of your mouth, this defiles a man. Because what's in your heart, what's down in your, Jesus said, what's down in your belly is going to come out of your mouth. What's down in your heart is going to come out. Hey, listen, we're, our soul and our spirit has been made alive to God, but some people, their spirit has not been made alive to God. So what are we seeing in their actions? What are we seeing from their body? Sin. It's the thing, your body is the thing that's producing the fruit from what your soul wanted. I'll prove it to you. You ready? Turn to uh, Romans chapter uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12. So you're in Thessalonians. You're going to go backward towards the Gospels and you'll see Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. you get it? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, you say it, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be, you ready? And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, do you get this? Are you getting it? Your soul is the part of you. That's who you are. That's your life. That's your desires, your emotions, your wants, your fears, your anger. That's your, that's your soul. That's who you are. And God says this. Look what he said. He doesn't say present your body unto God a living sacrifice so that you can present your own will. No, he said, present your body a living sacrifice so that you can prove what? Not your own will, because your heart's deceitful and it's wicked. Who could know it? You don't want to show your own will. What will do you want to show? God's will. Your body is fleshing out the things that your soul wants. And so the Bible says that you'll be known by your fruits. Why will you be known by your fruits? Because what's down inside is what's going to come out. If what you're doing with your body is sinful, that's why you ought to repent. That's why you want to turn away. If you want to, if you want to litmus test and say, well, I want to know where I stand, then you ought to ask yourself, well, what am I doing? What's happening? 
Now, don't flip that the wrong way because that's going to go to what happens next. Look what happens next. You, uh, I want to read it again so we don't get lost. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now, I've made it two verses. Oh, my. <laughs> now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think about this. Look at what Paul just did here. I love the genius in such small sentences. Your spirit was dead but made alive to God. Your will, your actions, your soul was bent towards that which is unrighteous, but God has made you a new creature in him, and now you want what is righteous. You want what he wants. Your will is now his will. That's what you want. You want to be like David, a man after God's own heart. Then your body, though it may look alive, is very brief. And soon enough, you will not be with us physically. I will not be with you physically. Maybe I've got, maybe I've got a year. Maybe I've got 10 years. Maybe I've, got, maybe I've got 50 more years. We don't really know that. But one day this body is going to be put in the grave, right? But just like my spirit and just like my soul, one day at the coming of our Lord, he's going to raise up my body too. And he gives me a new body. He gives me a new body that is fit for eternity. Not this body. This body does nothing but deteriorate. You finally hit an age and what does your body do? It just deteriorates. It just keeps going downhill and downhill and downhill and there's really nothing you can do to stop it. And some people try to stop it but it's really to no avail because you're still going, you're, at one point you're going to start to, you're, you're going to deteriorate. That's what your body is made to do. But one day God is going to resurrect us in a new body. A new body that's not meant to deteriorate. A new body that is meant to last for all of eternity. And so when God saves you, he saves you, your spirit, your soul, and your body. Now check this out. Look what he says. He who calls you is faithful. Oh, whoa. He didn't even say he who calls you makes you faithful. He said he who calls you is faithful. Look. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. I was sitting with a young man two weeks ago. This young man has boldly, plainly expressed to me his faith in Christ as his Lord. He's plainly told me that he was called into the mission field. So he told me, he told me that, that he, he's been saved. I've known him for a while. I sit with him weekly. He told me that he's been saved. He's told me he was called in the mission field. He was pretty certain that the day he turned 18 years old, he was going to the Middle East to spread the gospel, even if it meant to the peril of his own life. And I promise you, in the last month I sat with that same young man and you know what he told me? He said, I need to confess to you that I had to go forward in church to be saved again. I said, what? And thankfully he had this part of the doctrine correct. He said, well, he said, I don't mean that like going forward saved me. He said, but, but I needed to be saved and, and so I, I went forward in church, which that's true. Okay, you don't get saved by walking an aisle. Okay, that's, that's public display. That's, that's, a, that's a public confession. That's why we have a chance for you to come up an aisle. There's no like magic words I'm going to give you up here. It's you put your faith in Christ and you want to tell everybody. That's, that's what coming forward at church means. At least you had that part right. So, of course, I did what I typically do. If you, if you hit me with something like that, I'm going to give you a chance to just talk for a while. And so that's what I said. I said, why, why do you say that you had to be saved again? And you could take a guess. Why would you think? Don't say it out loud, but just why would you think that this young man thought that he needed to be saved again? He sinned. Not only did he sin once, but he sinned over and over again. As a matter of fact, he told me the number of times that he did what he did. 
And so he told me, I said, so at what point, this is what I always love to do this. I said, so at which one of those did you lose your salvation? He said, well, I'm not really sure. He said, but by the end of it, he said, I just realized I'd completely drifted away from God. And he said, I realized, he said, I was, I had totally walked away from God. And he said, I realized that, that I was not walking with God at all. There was, I didn't have God in any part of my life. And I, and I'd finally come to realize that. And I thought, no, I want God in my life again. And so I, I accepted him. I was asked for salvation and I went forward in church and I'm going to be baptized this Sunday. And I told him, I said, well, look, I'm so glad that you recognize that you weren't walking with the Lord, but I do want you to understand something. The very call, I want you to hear this. Everybody needs to hear this. If you're struggling with your salvation because of some sin, you need to hear this. The very conviction of sin is evidence of the Spirit in his life. If he, if he didn't have God's Spirit, he wouldn't have even cared. And that's so why I told him, I said, listen, do you understand? And I want you to see it again. Understand why I'm saying this. I'm saying all the story. I didn't even really get to why. Look at verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Who sanctifies you? God. How does he sanctify you? Completely. Your spirit, your soul, your body. And he is faithful. You write this one down. Put this on your Twitter account later. You ready for this? Your salvation doesn't depend on your grip. You're not holding on to him. He's holding on to you. And when you start to walk away, you know that call to come back is not yours. That's not your heart. Your heart's wicked. Your heart's deceitful. Your heart would say, hey, I'm fine. No, the part of you that says come back to God is not you. It's the God that saved you to begin with. He's faithful. He'll do it. Look, I got I to gotta wrap it up. I know I'm running out of time. Brethren, pray for us. He's closing his letter and he says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I told you once already, a handshake will do. Please keep your lips to yourself. Do not come up and kiss me. That would be very weird. Uh, that was in their time. They just did. Look, that was their custom, okay? We're not, you're not in France. You're in Kentucky, okay? You kiss a guy and you're going to get one in the kisser, you know? Okay, look. So, uh, this, okay, that's stupid. I shouldn't have said that. Verse 27, look what he says, though. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. I do need to make one point about that before I close this out, and that's this. The importance of sharing God's word in church of going through God's word in church is vital. So vital that Paul had to put it in the end of his epistle. Think about this. He's, he's wanting to close the epistle, and what's he want to make sure they do? Read this epistle to all the holy brethren. You know, if you've been with our church since right before we moved, if you've been with us since right before we moved, you've already been through the Gospel of John, then we went through Galatians, now we've been through the entire book of 1 Thessalonians. You ought to go through book. Reading your Bible is more than picking a verse of the day. We had a whole thing on Wednesday nights about that, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but you guys need to understand that your Bible, is this is your way to hear what God's will is. You want to know what God wants, you ought to be in his word. And being in his word is more than having a, a verse of the day calendar or a verse of the day come up on your phone. I'm not, not knocking on those things. I'm saying that your relationship with him ought to be deeper than that. And your church ought to be deeper than that. You ought to be a part of a church that wants to promote the word of God and go through the word of God because God's word is important. So important, Paul said, make sure you read it in front of everybody. Now, look at this. It's in verse 28. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. This is what we already talked about once, isn't it? That this whole thing started with God's grace. That it is God's grace. It is not, it is not anything you have done, not anything you could earn, but only by what God has done. So this thing happens at work. We, we always bring food into work and we share it with each other. And I am notorious for this, and some of you are going to get all upset when I say it, because everybody always does, that 
Sarah, my wife, will make cookies. And I bring them into work and I tell everyone that I made cookies. Amy can attest to this. Everybody gets all up in arms and they'll say, what? what, you didn't make the cookies, your wife made the cookies. And I'm always like, well, when you get married, the two become one. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you, look, if we get to do this with other things. I'm just saying, like, she, uh, there's something I was going to say, but then everybody was going to be mad at me. So I'm, I'm going to hold off. Never mind. I'm not going to make everybody too mad. But listen, I'm telling you that everybody always gets all around. Like, you didn't make those cookies. I'm like, yes, I did. But here's the funny part about this part I want to get to. You know who never gets upset about me doing that? Sarah shouldn't care. As a matter of fact, I've heard Sarah defend me when someone has said to her, did you know your husband, like they'll come in, she'll come into the shop to get something, you know, get my paycheck or whatever, because that's how it goes. She doesn't mind it being her money. <laughs> anyway, so, so she'll come up and she'll, she'll come up and get my paycheck. And, and everybody will say when she comes up to get my paycheck, they'll say, you know that he said he made those cookies. Did you make the cookies or did he? And you know what I've heard Sarah do? She'll justify me and she'll say, she'll say, well, he works to provide the ingredients to make the cookies. So I guess in a way he did kind of make the cookies. She has no problem with me taking the credit for the cookies. She doesn't care. I, I want you to hear this in a much grander way. God gives you his grace. It's all his work. Get this, and he wants you to take it. His grace, think about this for a moment. Your, your spirit's dead to him, he made you alive. Your soul was bent towards evil, and he, wanted, he turned you to good. And then he promises you a whole new body, and when he gives you that body, get this, you ready for this? He takes the righteousness that he gives you and he blesses you for it. You get to lay up treasures in heaven because of the righteousness that he put in you. You get to reap the benefit because of the righteousness that he imputed to you. You were wicked, but he counted you as righteous. You were sinful, he made you holy. And then he turns around and he rewards you for being exactly what he asked you to be. When you're holy and when you're righteous, he rewards you for it. That is his grace. When he gives you, not what you do deserve, if he gives me what I deserve, I'm in for it. But God's grace is when he gives me what I don't deserve. When he says, I already did the work for you, and it's complete. And then he rewards me. In the end, he rewards me for the grace that he gave me. That is the grace that can only come from God. So here's what I ask you right now. We're going to close the book today. We start a Christmas series next week. It's going to be pretty cool. I have this grand idea of, of looking at uh, Christ throughout history, uh, the, the anticipation of the resurrection throughout history, or not the excuse me, the advent throughout history, so I, I encourage you to come. But as we close this book, I want you to ask yourself this question. Have you received the grace of God? Are you leaning on your own understanding? Are you leaning on your own will? Or have you received His grace? Because by His grace, we are saved. Put your faith in him and he'll save you. He does all the work. Let's stand up on our feet and go to the Lord in prayer.